have needs and desires and seek to discover our own erotic journey, you've come to the right place. This is Seek, Discover, Create with Lexi Silver, presented by SDC. In the next hour, we're here to answer your burning questions about relationships, sexuality, and health from the leading sex experts and professionals. Now, here is your host, Lexi Silver. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to SDC Presents Seek, Discover, Create. I'm your host, Lexi Silver. Today, we're going to talk about two of my favorite topics combined. And if you're wondering what those are, okay, obviously, we're talking about something related to sex. But in this case, more specifically, I'm talking about consensual non-monogamy, which you all know I talk about pretty often. Um, And what that entails is usually anything from swinging, open relationships, monogamous relationships, polyamory and anything in between all of those things. Um, And the second thing that we're talking about that I absolutely love is writing because as you know, I'm an erotic writer and um, I have a very deep appreciation for people who can actually combine these two things. So that brings me to my guest today. I will very soon introduce him to you. who is going to tell us a little bit about the marriage between these two different ideas um, or not so different ideas and how in writing uh, about consensual non-monogamy, creating these characters, um, it actually can teach us a lot. Before I introduce you to Mr. Cooper S. Beckett, I just want to thank our sponsor, SDC.com, your and my expert source of exclusive information about sex, health, and relationships, where you can access the world's largest lifestyle dating platform of over 1 million active members. Use my special promo code 7070 to get two months free at SDC.com. That's 7070 to get two months free at SDC. So... Cooper is a queer, non-monogamous writer, and he endeavors to create characters that reflect the diverse lifestyle of his friends, partners, and himself, and myself. I'm going to add myself in there. So from that mandate, he writes scary, silly, and sexy books and essays. Oh, are you guys loving this so far? I, I totally am. Beginning his writing career as a podcaster, as host of the Life on the Swing Set podcast, and speaker in the sexuality education community, he wrote My Life on the Swing Set, a memoir of his first five years in non-monogamy. And he followed that up with two novels that take a brutally honest look at swinging and polyamory, which are a life less monogamous, and approaching the swingularity, which <laughs> I love the titles. And you got to check those out. We're going to tell you a little bit later about how you can get those books. And uh, two of the more recent books, one of which will be very soon available for you to get your dirty little hands on. Uh, the first is um, in the horror genre with the book As Good As Gone and the second book, which now in that series, which is now going to be available very shortly, like I said, called As Good Riddance. Oh my God, I love the play on words. So without further ado, uh, <laughs> Mr. Cooper Beckett, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me. This is this is very exciting for me. I like this. Oh, cool. Well, I hope you're enjoying this pace so far. I am very much so. <laughs> All right. Well, I said these are two of my favorite topics. We're yeah. talking about central non-monogamy and writing. I mean, 
and you're somehow mixing all of that together. So <laughs> I, mean, I, I love to hear how you're cooking all of this up. Yeah. And um, I guess like maybe let's get started with, you know, how, you know, you first began your exploration into consensual non-monogamy because most of us usually start off with that kind of traditional monogamy as like mm-hmm. a mindset because everyone we know is doing it that way. That's the only way that most people grow up thinking is the, that's the only thing available to us. Um, that was kind of my mindset, is to, you know, even though it never felt right to me, I never knew why. Now I know why. Um, mm-hmm. But how did it work for you? Well, monogamy is is peer pressure because you don't know that there is anything else. And the worst way to make choices in your life are without the knowledge of choice. Yes. So, you know, yeah, I uh, I started dating my partner in college. We got married immediately after college. We were young, uh, 21 and 22, and we became adults in America, which meant we got an apartment, then we got a house, uh, we we got the dogs. We didn't go the family route, though, because mm-hmm. neither of us were interested in that. And I think that was the first bit of schism with the norm, you know, mm-hmm. and neither of us had had much experience at all sexually before each other. And so a lot of our time together was trying to figure out who we are as sexual beings and like good Midwesterners hiding that from our partner, you know, <laughs> like good Midwesterners. <laughs> and so like seven ish years in, you know, right around the time of the itch, <laughs> uh-huh. uh, we, hit a bumpy patch and we both uh we both started seeing a therapist uh, separately and it was the same therapist and we were both telling her the same thing we are interested in what else is out there we got married too young we never got to explore we want to fuck other people and i don't know how to tell okay okay and while it would have been nice if this therapist had intervened at this point and maybe called <laughs> us in for a, a a couple session and said, look, you're both telling me the same thing. Will you fucking talk to each other? Yeah. Uh, she didn't. And uh, we got to a point where I, I, I've always been of the opinion that if you're going to tell someone something that they're going to react badly to, but then may be okay with, you don't want to be face-to-face with them. You know, this is the way I came out as well. So, like, when I talked to her, I I wrote a letter to her and had her read it and said, come talk to me when you are done with this. Because I I know I need to process things myself before communicating with someone else. And if I process badly and blow up, that's not going to help anybody. No. So, she came down... She said, I want to do that too. And we said, well, I guess we get divorced then, right? Because that's, that's right. what you do, right? You, you can't just have sex with other people. You, you're, you're married or you're not. And uh, we sat with that for a few days. And then one night we were out at dinner. I was a boudoir photographer for a while. And a friend of mine, after seeing my pictures, sort of gave me a, so you're in the lifestyle, aren't you? You were like, I said, I said, I don't know what that is. Mm-hmm. And she's like, you know, like swingers. It's like, wait, that's still a thing. 
people are still swingers? I, th I thought that was done in the 70s. I didn't know that was still an option. Yeah. And so I'd found this website, um, uh, that, like your, your friendly neighborhood swinger. It was this really cute little video, uh, like a 50s self-help video about becoming swingers. And it just seemed so friendly and delightful that I casually said at dinner, well, there's always swinging. And wow. we both laughed. <laughs> and then we said, well, you know, that would solve the problem. Yeah. Because yeah, swingers always say swinging won't solve any problems in your relationship. But if the problem in your relationship is not fucking enough people, swinging can solve that. That is, <laughs> it is a direct solution to that problem. And so a week later, we were on Lifestyle Lounge. Uh -huh. And a week after that, we met our first couple. And a week after that, we had our first soft swap. And by the end of that month, we'd done full swap. And I mean, it, it's, it's hard to overstate this. That, that decision, that question changed my life in a fundamental bedrock fashion. Literally everything I am today was sort of birthed in that big bang. It, it just expanded outward. My partner, I would not know her without this, uh, well, this, this lifestyle, but this, you know, thing, the non-monogamy, the podcast, everything, it all came from that nexus point. And I am positive that non-monogamy has made me a better person hmm. because before non-monogamy, I was, you know, middle-class white guy who thought I knew everything about everything, right? You know, that's, that's what we do when we get out of college. Okay, I guess we're done growing and changing. <laughs> this is the way life is. Let's go forward. Non-monogamy really opened my eyes to the diversity of sexuality, the diversity of uh, relationship styles, the incredible breadth of the word queer that people often just like to pigeonhole down to gay, which it, it may have once been that, but it is certainly not any longer. Mm -hmm. And I know what it, the, the greatest thing I can attribute to it is my empathy level. Mm-hmm has gone way up. Like I, I was definitely a person who fought for my rights at the beginning. Now I'm a person who tries very hard to fight for all rights. So it, it's, you know, it was a paradigm shift. It was the major fundamental change that birthed everything else. Wow. And I mean, <laughs> it's quite the story. I think, um, you know, I, I think it's great that you're, you're saying that this kind of, um, you know, started a whole new chapter in your life. Um, and if whole you're a book, whole yeah. New book, yeah, that's amazing. Your foray into consensual non-monogamy started all of these things, mm -hmm. the podcast, you know, uh, you know, your, your 
I guess, entire being who you are now um, is a lot related to your decision, that one decision. Tell me a little bit about like the podcast, how that all started and how, you know, you, why you decided to write all those books also about consensual non-monogamy. Well, at the beginning, uh, so we're talking just about 10 years ago now, it'll be 10 years next year uh, when we started the podcast. Um, It was, it was Dylan Thomas and myself and we, uh, I had been in the lifestyle for a grand total of one year at this point and had felt this weird cold shoulder from most of the podcasts available at the time where it was basically this attitude that non-monogamy is awesome, Mm -hmm. but it's not for you. Why not? It, it, it didn't give a gray area. It was like your relationship is perfect and you have the best sex of your life with your partner and then non-monogamy is amazing. Mm-hmm. It's like, but if, if your relationship is perfect and you have the best sex of your life, fundamentally, that doesn't, you don't need non-monogamy because you have it. You have everything. It's perfect. You have everything. What, what I recognize very early on is that we are sort of outsourcing uh, various elements of our needs to other people in mm. monogamy. You know, if, if I'm into BDSM and my partner isn't, I'm outsourcing, she is outsourcing my BDSM interest to someone else to yeah. take care of, you know. And <laughs> it's, it's acknowledging that we are not whole. And acknowledging that we can grow and change and adapt and evolve. And that's what non-monogamy has to offer from a, from a mental standpoint and a metaphysical standpoint. Whereas, yeah, it, it is also about awesome sex. Also. It is so uh, emotionally enriching. We need each other in a way that allowing for closeness can give us and that's really why i sort of uh, hydroplaned out of considering myself a swinger and moved into generalized non-monogamy like i'm very much a swinger i'm going to a swinger party on sunday mm-hmm. i love going to sex parties i love uh hooking up i it, it's awesome yeah but at the <laughs> same <is>. time i <laughs> i now I don't define what a relationship's going to be when I meet someone. You know, I don't walk into a situation and say, we are going to be fuck buddies. And that's it. Because I don't know what the relationship has to offer until we actually spend the time together and learn. And that has been such a gratifying thing because that has allowed me to sort of push out my sphere into all these other areas. Like, I don't think I would want another man as a primary partner. I think that's where my, my bisexuality sort of bumps up against, you know, half and half. But I may want to go on some dates with a guy. I don't know. And what better way to find out than to be open to it, right? Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, like you're saying, you know, that having that open mind and being able to, you know, being in already, whatever you want to call it, label it, swingers, whatever, the consensually non-monogamous community, that's what I call it, you know, it's, uh, or lifestyle, whatever. Um, It's 
really an ability for you to make those connections with different people, not knowing necessarily how it will end. Will it be just sex? Mm -hmm. Will it not be sex? Will you become my friend who's also in the lifestyle? Um, You know, will we have like this crazy, awesome, like intimacy and romance? Who knows? Who knows? Um, But it's that idea of being open to whatever can potentially happen which is different than obviously if you're uh, with the one person and you're, you know, it's a monogamous relationship and that's all you ever know uh, for theoretically the end of time. Exactly. <laughs> you I know, mean, that's, that's a successful relationship, right? When one of you dies, yeah. that means you have succeeded <laughs> at relationshiping oh because you made it to the end. You made it. Yeah. yeah. For people who are monogamous, who are listening to this, no, I mean, and oh, no, I, I agree. Too, yeah. who are you know listening, and um, and I will say this, you know, for um, as far as when a lot of people who are in the CNM community do talk about um, people who are monogamous, they say vanilla, or mm. I like the I like Muggle. I think that's a cute one. <laughs> yeah. But they, you know, they're also, they think it's cute, but they also kind of take offense because maybe they're not particularly vanilla, or they don't sure. find they are, and that's fine. Um, what we're saying is for us who are, you know, in what we call the open-minded or consensually non-monogamous community, it is for us, uh, the ability to make those connections. If you're fine and you have no problem and you're loving it and you have a great partner and you're happy with that partner and that is what you want and you're happy with your choices. Awesome. That is, that's great. Where we're at is these are our choices and we're happy to have the choices. I think that's what it is. It's (laughs) it's knowing you have the choice. If you're monogamous because you choose to be monogamous. That's great. That's fantastic. If you're monogamous because your partner wants to be monogamous, but you want to fuck people on the weekends and not tell your partner, Mm -hmm. that's bullshit. That's lying. And you shouldn't be together. Yeah. Well, that's and what the consensual part has to do with exactly. our community, right? Yeah. And I, I feel like, um, you know, I try to tell people who are in less than healthy monogamous relationships that they need to be far more open about their interests with their partner because if your partner does not want to do the relationship the way you want to do it, it doesn't matter right or wrong. It, it really doesn't matter at all. You have a disconnect and you won't be happy long term. And just being able to tell your partner what you're, what you're interested in, um, it's, it's freeing, but it also lets them tell you what they're interested in. And maybe you can find this happy medium and maybe it's not non-monogamy maybe you just want to go out and get spanked every month once a month and your partner doesn't want to do it but that would be cheating if you didn't tell them if you didn't have that conversation and if you do have that conversation maybe they'll freak out but maybe they won't just like you cheat maybe you'll get divorced but maybe you'll be able to work through it you know it's there's there's always a chance when you communicate that things can work out for the best and you won't know unless you try you had the assumption that by having that conversation with your partner at the time that it would go wrong 
that mm-hmm. was the assumption it would go wrong. And I think a lot of people also kind of approach that concept of communicating to your partner that, you know, you do want to open up your relationship right. to the possibility of other people as well. Um, that a lot of people think immediately that's going to go wrong. If I say that, it's yeah. going to go backwards. I can never take it back after that. It's going to, you know, they're never going to go for it or etc. All of those thoughts. Um, what would you say to those people? I really feel like the things that scare you are the most important to share because if something is taking up brain real estate, like something that scares you about approaching, you know, let's go real simple. Let's go with you want to be spanked by your partner and you're afraid to say something. So you have this desire in you that's just pumping and you put fear on top of that. Mm-hmm. And then your partner notices you becoming distant because you're afraid and you're worried about it. And by doing nothing, you blow up the relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I, I came up with this idea um, for non-monogamy uh, dating uh, based on Schrodinger's cat. <laughs> so Sch- Schrodinger's cat, uh, for just the encapsulation, is there's a cat in a box with poison, and the box is closed. And so at that moment, because you don't know, the cat is both simultaneously alive and dead. Mm -hmm. And you don't lock in the results until you open the box. Okay. So I I simplify it down to there's, there's three outcomes, not two outcomes. You know, everyone looks at it as binary, a yes or a no. And they approach dating like that too. It's going to be a yes or a no. But they don't take into effect what a lot of us do, which is not open the box because we're so worried about opening that box and finding a dead cat, or we're Mm -hmm. so worried about approaching someone and asking and getting a no that we don't ask or we don't open the box and we don't get to play with the cat and we don't get to play with the person because we didn't bother to check. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing in a relationship. You don't get to do something if you can't talk about it, because talking about it is what leads to doing it. (laughs) And so not asking at all is just as bad as asking and getting a no. Yeah, Yeah. you could ruin the relationship. But at that point, there is something to be said about this health and stability of the relationship in the first place, if such a thing could ruin it. That's That's, where I sound judgy right there. No, I mean, no, but I I hear what you're saying. And I I think that, you know, like I say this in every single podcast episode, communication uh, is the most crucial part of any relationship. Before having that conversation, you need to have that solid foundation of feeling like my partner is not going to judge me for whatever it is that I'm about to tell them. Uh, You just want to know that your partner will accept you. I think there is that fear of being judged, but in a healthy relationship, um, theoretically, that should not be there. You should always feel that your partner uh, will accept you for who you are, no matter what it is that you tell them. Um, When we... uh, (laughs) I'm going to go into a dangerous area, I think. Uh, We we have internalized shame. Yes. Significant internalized shame about any sort of sexuality that we deem uh, aberrant to the norm. And that shame is almost entirely from growing up in religion because religion preaches that the only reason you should have sex is to procreate. Not all religion, the 
Jewish faith is actually pretty impressive on the uh, the enjoyment of sex part. But you, <laughs> if you grow up with that, like I went to Catholic school and I grew up with that internalized shame. Like my, my curiosity about uh, bisexuality came with so much heaped on shame that I didn't process it at all until I was almost 30 at that point. I'd be filled with this self-loathing and this doubt about my sexuality because I didn't know bi was a thing. Mm. And if I was gay, that was terrifying, not because I have a problem with gay, but because it would have meant I fundamentally didn't understand who I am. Hmm. And that terrified me that I, I made a mistake and I thought I was this, but I actually wasn't. Mm -hmm. And it was only through embracing the fact that there is not really shame around it. Like there is nothing. Uh, you can't make an argument that doesn't involve religion. That's against guy on guy sex. Once I moved past that, you know, and, and, and that takes a lot. Like so many swingers I know have escaped, <laughs> escaped from religion, escaped from uh, conservative upbringing. And, and I'm using conservative, not in the political sense, but conservative in the, we don't talk about sex here. We mm -hmm. yeah. And we all have gotten to that point where we choose, I'm going to jump into the deep end because I can't get wetter than wet. I need to just leap. Mm -hmm. And that is the most terrifying thing ever because you can't plan for it. Like, you know, I always talk to people who are thinking about opening their relationship and they're talking through scenarios. It's like, okay, so what if I see you? You have to sort of shove your your immediate reaction away mm -hmm. because your immediate reaction is likely shame-based conservative. You know, it's all these things that if we've internalized, it, it has nothing to do with the actual moment. You need a moment to process. Mm -hmm. And then after you've had, after you've had a nice glass of water, maybe <laughs> then, you, then you can understand what is going on and how you're actually feeling about it. Firstly, the yeah. whole concept of shame, my mission in life and in what I do when it relates to my podcast, sex education, the book I'm writing, everything, 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 everything has to do with um, helping people understand that they can explore their sexuality or like I like to say their lexuality uh, shamelessly without judgment, without fear, without feeling all of those things. And yeah. the reality is you're right. A lot of shame is based in religion, but also the problem that I have I talk about all the time is there is no education. You're surrounded by people, so you're you're surrounded by theoretically parents who themselves never had their parents talk to them about sex. They were not educated about sex, so we grow up basically not knowing what's out there. We think it's one person for one person, man and woman. Heterosexuality is you know, the thing, everything else is abnormal, right. um, that uh, it's, you know, monogamy is the only way. Uh, we don't know anything else right. um, when we're growing up. So when we are feeling like, 
oh, wow, I'm attracted to someone of the same gender. Oh, I'm having sexual fantasies about having sex with more than one person at a time, not for procreation purposes. And you're like, I feel abnormal about this. I feel shameful about this. You know, you, you feel sexual desire. You don't know that masturbation is, wow, that's a great way to alleviate sexual frustration because no one, te- everyone tells you don't touch yourself because it's exactly, not right. Yeah. Or, you know, we, masturbation is not necessarily taught is, as part of sex ed as being something that um, is, you know, helpful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you don't go and, and feel like you have to have sex or fool around with people when you're not actually necessarily ready for that. Um, we were taught that our own bodies are dirty, especially, you know, women. Uh, we're oh, taught like, oh, you know, yeah. oh man, it's horrible. The amount of shame. And there's so much shame surrounding sexuality. Stripping that away is even as an adult who is conscious of all of those things is very hard. A lot of yeah. things are shame based. Um, so, Thank you for bringing that up. And actually, I want to get back to that in a second. Another thing you said was uh, you're, you know, you had a pseudo identity crisis, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, realizing that you're bisexual um, and re- feeling like, wow, I never really knew myself. Um, I think a lot of people who come out as um, being anything other than heterosexual um, or anything other than monogamous has those kinds of feelings at different levels, of course. Oh, yeah. In that whole self-discovery period, learning yeah. who you are, figuring out that you are not falling into these very neat, clean categories that you know the world, society, religion, parents, etc., have really set out for us. Um, discovering, you know, you, who you are now, um, and being in this consensually non-monogamous community now, you are basically um, an educator. You are, you, you're, you know, you're, you're a podcaster, you're a writer, you're really immersed in this entire lifestyle, which is awesome. Um, and how is that as, you know, as someone who identifies as being queer and non-monogamous, how is it, what is it like for you in this experience? And I have to specify a bisexual male in this because yes. we, we talked about this before, um, being a bisexual female, great. That in the swinging lifestyle is like the thing, right? Not every woman is bisexual and not every woman wants to be with other women in the swinging lifestyle. But generally, if you are someone who identifies as both female and bisexual in the lifestyle, that is awesome. Yeah. It's unfortunately a major double standard. uh, That It's not the same thing for bisexual men. So can you speak to your experience with all of this? Yeah. Here's the thing about bi men in... Swinging, because I want to specify swinging. Yes. Because the poly community is far more open to it, and I'll talk about why that is. Yeah, I agree. Let's talk about men in general. Let's do it. So men have been given this idea that if they want to have sex with someone and she's a little, eh, maybe, I don't know, all they have to do is keep asking. Mm-hmm. Be persistent. Wear her down. She'll she'll give in. You know, we've been given that idea through media, through through television, books, movies, everything, and that is a lot of what has caused the toxic uh, masculinity problem. Is because we we have this half the population who believes not only that they want something from someone else, but they deserve it. Uh, They're entitled to it. Yes. Entitled. So we have that idea that this is what I need. If if I do this, I'll get something. Mm -hmm. 
And what would the most terrifying thing in the world be to a homophobic man who knows that all someone has to do is keep asking and they get what they want? Mm -hmm. Another man doing that to them Hmm. because they might wake up one morning and just be gay. And I think that's the modern problem. The more historical problem is swinging was doing really well in the 70s. Like, really well. Like, it was mainstream. And then AIDS happened. And that pretty much shut down the sexual community. Yes. I grew up in the 80s in an era where you were told if you have sex, you could probably die. AIDS is not a gay disease. HIV is not a gay disease. But yes, predominantly gay men at the beginning were the victims of this horrible plague. So you have internalized homophobia. Yes. You have historical homophobia. And then you have just toxic masculinity on top of that. And that is the, the triumvirate that causes the swinger community to be afraid of bi men. You know, and I've, I haven't experienced a lot of discrimination, but I definitely have felt it. Mm-hmm. And um, the most vivid example was our first year at Desire, uh, the swinger resort in Mexico. And I got a wonderful blowjob from a wonderful gentleman at the hot tub. And afterwards, he went to get a drink. This drunk woman turns to him and says, what are you, some kind of fag or something? Oh, my God. And before that, it's just like, oh, right. They don't like this. And I felt that over the years, you know, like I, I fought tooth and nail for every bit of progress that our desire trip has in, in welcoming by men, not just, not just allowing, cause that's bullshit, mm-hmm. welcoming by men and telling them that this is a safe space to practice what you want to do because I mean, come on, we all need to be uh, validated that our, that our kinks, that our desires are not awful, shameful things we should, we should feel bad about. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, I know why. I, I know why the swinger community doesn't get along with the LGBT community. I understand it. Uh, but fundamentally... What I challenge swingers uh, to is that if you want your wife to be bi, guess what? Someone you love is part of the LGBT community. So get the fuck over yourself and support LGBT rights because your wife is bi. She's not just bi for the weekend. If you (laughs) like to have sex with men and women and anything in between, that is who you are, whether you're doing it now or not. You want to talk about hypocritical bullshit for a minute, though. The gay community is just as shitty to bi men as the straight community. Like, Mm -hmm. I've been told to my face that I'm really gay. Yeah. And bi is just a pit stop on that highway. And like I, I said to the, it's like, just because you took that gradual trek to who you are doesn't mean I am. 
Hmm. And it it's it's so it's it's actually repugnant because you can you can really feel the people who don't know any better and are just talking stupid shit. Mm-hmm. And then the people who really, really should know should better. know better. Yeah. Well, but so and by erasure is a huge, which is what we're talking about here, oh, yeah. is a huge thing. Um, and so uh, I, I like what you were saying as far as you know, challenging the sphere community to be a fully embracing every member of the community, including and maybe especially in this case, um, bisexual men. The idea is if you are in an area where you can play with anyone that you want to play with and two people want to play with each other, does it really fucking matter? Should it really ever matter? Um, If everyone is consenting, does it matter if two guys want to suck each other's dicks in front of everyone else? If that's what we're all doing, if I'm sucking a dick, why can't he suck a dick? Why can't we do it together? It doesn't- it's also not a far skip from a monogamous person saying, well, I don't want to see you two fucking. You know, a hetero person saying, well, I don't want to see. I mean, it's, it's the same kind of discrimination. It's the same kind of bullshit. You know, what, what a lot of swingers don't realize is how privileged they are to be able to live the life they're living. Yes, and how many people fought for them to have the right to do that. Absolutely. I mean, really, with, without the gay pride movement, there would not be as accepting attitudes toward uh, queer women as there are. Mm-hmm. You know, and without the uh, LGBT pride, there would not be this new dialogue about sexuality. Because that's what we're talking about. And you know who doesn't talk about that? Fucking swingers. <laughs> they, they sit at home and they swing on the weekends and yeah. it's not their life. You know, mm-hmm. for, for a lifestyle called the lifestyle, yeah. they sure don't. I, I'm making really big generalizations. generalizations. I know. I'm aware. I'm, I know. And I mean, a lot of swingers are not like this, but, but they're what I've, I've spent a lot of time realizing that the important thing for me to do in life is tell one person who is curious about their sexuality, tell one person who's curious about opening their relationship, that there are other options, you know, like the guy who's, who's curious about sucking a cock, but doesn't want to do it because you know, it could change him. It's like, well, there are two options there. Well, there are three options. You suck it, you don't like it, and then you never do it again. And guess what? You're still hetero. Ooh. You suck it and you like it, but you still want to eat pussy later. Guess what? You're bi or queer or whatever you want to call it. Yep. You suck it and you realize you have never had anything better than that dick and you do not want to ever eat pussy again. And yes, you're really gay. And you know what? Wouldn't that be a great thing to learn? You mentioned before the poly community, uh, the polyamory community, uh, or sorry, rather, the polyamorous community is very different vis-a-vis um, you know, gay men, bisexual men, et cetera. Tell, tell me about why there is this, this disconnect. I'm very cognizant that like if, if there's circles, mm-hmm. you know, polyamory and swinging, the vast majority is overlap. Yeah. You know? But the thing about poly is if you're building a relationship with someone, odds are 
you're going to want to tag them in your Facebook pictures. You're going to want to bring them to Christmas dinner. You're going to want to do these things with them that will put you out in public. Mm -hmm. So you sort of can't really do like really do Polly and be closeted about it. Mm -hmm. You can easily be a swinger and be closeted, you know, because why would you tell anybody? Mm-hmm. You don't have to tell anybody ever if you don't want to. I mean, unless you're an evangelist like me and it's just like, hey, let me tell you the good word about swinging. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> polyamory, you need to be open. You need to be out. And I feel like that need is what causes people to be more open in general. And when you're more open in general, you realize, I mean, the, the fundamental truth that anywhere along that sexuality spectrum from, from like purely hetero cis male to purely hetero cis female, there's, there's gray area everywhere, you know? So it's, it's only because we think we're supposed to that we close ourselves off to that gray area in 10 years of doing this. It's been amazing to watch how the, the young swingers, how the young poly people have grown into their own. And that's why I write about it. You're basically creating characters who are, uh, you know, more accurate representations of the world in terms of gender orientation, um, you know, uh, the, the kind of relationships that they're into. Let me hear a little bit about why you made that decision to do sure. all of this and how that has kind of, um, uh, like, influenced you. It's funny because before I was non-monogamous, I, was, I went to film school. I was a, a writer. And I was a blogger. And when I became non-monogamous, I stopped blogging because the people who read my blog can't know about this stuff. Mm. And so that was one of the impetuses that led to Swing Set was I needed an outlet to talk about this stuff. And it was really funny because like five years into Swing Set, I went back and just got all my work from swing set and looked at it. And I realized I had like 110,000 words written on, on the swing set website. And I thought, well, I could just package that up into a book. It'll be easy. It was not easy. (laughs) It was not easy. No, but that's what became my memoir. And writing that made me really remember how much I enjoyed writing book stuff. And I had written a screenplay uh, before Swing Set about swinging. Again, you know, six months in, maybe, thinking I knew everything about the the community. And I really liked the script. I had a lot of things I wanted to change. But then that became A Lifeless Monogamous, my first novel. And that really uh, was a great experience for me because I was able to tell the rough story about beginning non-monogamy because yeah it's awesome and strange and weird and exciting and also you're doing stupid shit that you're not thinking about that's pissing your partner off (laughs) that you know you're you're theoretically almost blowing up your relationship at some point really everybody has that relationship extinction level event (laughs) in the first year of swinging so with that book i i didn't really deal with much other than it was a young couple meeting an older couple and learning about the swinging lifestyle and getting in over their heads and doing stupid shit and finding their way through it. So it's definitely a warts and all 
depiction of the early days of non-monogamy. And um, when I when I finished that one, I thought immediately I want to write about um, this trip we take this to Desire because that place is so important to me, and I find it so difficult to convey how amazing it is and how transformative it is. So I wanted to write about these characters from the first book and take them all through further journeys and add new people. I I added a a lesbian couple to it. And really, I've never felt more out of my league than (laughs) writing about a a, um, first-generation Mexican immigrant teenage girl in a border town in Catholic school coming to terms with her sexuality. Wow. Yeah. I, I wrote myself into a deep pit there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thankfully, people have said that I got the lesbian stuff just right. So, uh, <laughs> But it was, it was very important to me to then take it to the next level. I wrote a book about swinging, and now I wanted to write a book about non-monogamy. And so my characters are growing and changing. They're moving into relationships more than moving out of relationships. Uh, the, one of the lesbians is struggling with her sexuality while the main character from the first book is struggling with his sexuality and trying to find uh, where he fits. And so I get to attack the same conflict from two different directions, the prejudice from the gay community and the prejudice from the straight community. And it's, it was, such a wonderful experience but it's a massive fucking book it's literally (laughs) twice as long as the first one after that i took some time off because the audiobook nearly killed me it has seven narrators oh my and it's 19 hours long and i edited it myself and it 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 was a nightmare i'm so lucky it turned out as good as it did and as i was Stepping back after that, my, my first love has always been horror. Like my scripts in, in high school and college were horror scripts. And I wanted to do something like a, a story I'd written in, in college. Uh, have you heard of Fletch? Yeah. You probably know the, the Chevy Chase movie, but there's also a book series that's 11 books long that nobody knows about. And it's, it's, uh, it's this great really sleek mysteries about Fletch solving, you know, it's, it's crime thrillers. It's not bumbling Chevy chase. And I read that right about the same time. I was really into Buffy, the vampire slayer. (laughs) And I combined my love of these two things into a ghost hunter. And so he was your typical uh, caddish anti-hero. He had a new girlfriend, every book, you know, that kind of thing. And, when I came back to this idea, I realized I didn't give a shit about him anymore <laughs> Okay, because he was, he was such a cliche and he was cliche back in the eighties too. You know, like this, this has always been a cliche. And I thought about what would the most interesting and enjoyable thing for me to do with this would be, what if I, what if I just gender flip it, but keep the personality the same? Huh? So, 
Prudence Osgood is my hero in, in the Osgood books. And she is a drunk. She's addicted to Oxycontin because she was in a car accident and she never completely healed to it, with it. She drinks to blackout to avoid recurring night terrors. And she just fucking hooks up with anybody who, who like, and doesn't, doesn't think about it. She's non-monogamous at the beginning of the first book. The couple she was with uh, just committed the, the cardinal sin of, of couples and, uh, and unicorns by ridiculously prioritizing the relationship and cutting the unicorn, uh, 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 you know. Yeah. So I got to explore, first off, a queer character, which, which was great, like full-blown queer. She doesn't identify on either side of the spectrum. Uh, I got to explore somewhat a gender character who's uncomfortable in her skin, who doesn't love her boobs. You know, it's all these things that are atypical in genre fiction. Yes. Because genre fiction always puts the queer character in as the sidekick who dies. Oh God. You know, like, like Tara on Buffy. Uh, she, she was there to die and set up Willow's journey. You know, it was, it was bullshit. And so I wanted to create a, a story where this woman is queer. She's non-monogamous and that's not the story. You know, it's, it's part of it. It's like, like in every James Bond movie, he fucks two to three people. But that's not the story. No. It's just there. And so I'd never seen queer culture represented that way, where it's just there. It doesn't become a fundamental problem that anyone has to overcome. There is no overcoming this problem because it's not a problem. And that was so liberating to write that way. And I honestly, I think Prudence uh, Osgood is the most like me of any character I've ever created. Like I gave her all my faults <laughs> and I love her for it. And she's a rough character and it really allowed me to explore antihero mm -hmm. because antihero is so interesting and explore it in a way that presents positives and negatives about heterosexuality, homosexuality, bisexuality. And all we need to be confident in our decisions is representation. You know, so many people complain now because like uh, they're, they're making Valkyrie uh, a gay character in Thor. Uh, okay. She, She's, I believe, gay in the comics, but they're officially in the next Thor movie. She is the the king of Asgard, and she's going to have a queen. So she's officially gay. And the community is up in arms about this. Like, why does she need to be gay? Why does it matter? Why? And what they're not seeing is that if she were straight, she'd probably be in a relationship which would matter. Mm -hmm. And the people who are going to see this are not universally heterosexuals. And it's so important for us in minority communities to see someone who looks like us because we never see people who look like us. We never see people like, honestly, off the top of my head, I can't think of a bisexual male character in modern media. I can't either. 
No. I can think of bisexual men, Alan Cumming, uh, probably Bowie, very likely Freddie Mercury, but Freddie Mercury's gay because we want to completely disregard his uh, heteroromantic relationship with his wife because he has sex with men, so he must be gay. Um, Elton John is gay because he has sex with men and sometimes women, but sex with... So we, we just slide people into these categories that we are more comfortable with because bi is scary because bi offers choice and monogamy doesn't. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's ultimately why people are afraid of bi because bi, it's, it's like resentment that you have an option that I don't have. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm married, so I can't just go out and, and meet someone and hook up. But a bi person, they could theoretically have an arrangement where they're married to the opposite sex and they want to hook up with their same sex partner and it could be cool. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, I, I think a lot of it, I think a lot of the, the prejudice against swingers comes down to jealousy and just like, man, why should you be allowed to go out and fuck anybody you want when I can't? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's purely selfishness driven. Like, I mean, really, when you get right down to it, oppression is all about selfishness. How can people get their g- dirty little hands on all of these books that you have going on? And uh, Osgood Riddance is coming out soon, right? It's coming out uh, October 1st. Oh, exciting. For the Halloween season. Of course, obviously. I mean, what <laughs> better time? It's horror. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you can, you can find all my stuff at cooperspeckett.com. And uh, all my books are available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Uh, my audio books are on Audible. Uh, you can buy them from me if you want, but you can also buy them literally anywhere. Uh, just <laughs> search for them. But Cooper S. Beckett is the way to reach me on almost any platform, Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter. My Twitter is very political, so you you know be aware if you come in. It's not just sexy stuff. It's, I get angry. And, <laughs> um, and really, the, the, I, would, I would really like it if people checked out the new books because that's a harder sell. You know, like I've, I've been in non-monogamous community forever. I have a non-monogamous audience. I can say, hey, you want to read a book about non-monogamy? And they get all excited. If I say, hey, you want to read a non-monogamy adjacent book about a ghost hunter? Uh. <laughs> adjacent, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, definitely, it's definitely askew. I realized that as I was walking down the path. But uh, I'm, I'm very proud of it. And I'm very proud of both of these books. I think they're some of the best work I've ever done. And certainly the most meditative about relationships. Because uh, it's, it's about... You know, I talk a lot about loss and how we lose identity, how we lose community, how we lose um, our sexuality, you know, for, through pain, through shame, through regret, all these things. Because the, that's what makes good horror is when there's real characters and real stakes and then a monster. 
<laughs> and also a monster. Character. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what makes good fiction in general or good writing. And uh, I'm really excited to, uh, to read that. So, I mean, as always, like this was, the, well, I mean, this was a great conversation. I know we could go yeah. on for a while. We'll probably end up continuing this like off this, uh, off the podcast later, but um, thank you. Thank you oh, so much um, for pleasure. your insights, for this really fun talk. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. This was great. Awesome. And thank you to everyone who tuned in today. You can listen to my show every Tuesday night at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America's Variety Channel. And you can always get episodes on demand if you know you're sleeping or busy or doing whatever during that particular time slot. Uh, you can download on, like I said, Voice America, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Google Play Music. And don't forget, you can learn more about sex, health, and relationships as you seek yourself to Discover together and create moments at sdc.com. Use my promo code 7070 um, to get two months free at SDC. And ask me anything, guys. You can send in all of your questions to Lexi at sdc.com. And you can come and find me, <laughs> find me, stalk me, whatever. Uh, Lexi <laughs> Silver, uh, that's Lexi with an I, Silver with a Y on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Because I want to hear from you. I want to hear your thoughts. I want to hear about what you want want to know about sex and relationships. So talk to me, come find me. So thanks for joining me, Lexi Silver on SDC Seek, Discover, Create. Until next time, stay lectual people. Bye. We appreciate you joining us on Seek, Discover, Create presented by SDC.com. Please join your host, Lexi Silver, on another erotic journey next Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until then, may you enjoy exploring your sexuality. 